Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 o'clock a.m. the 1st of February 2021. This is episode 357. Ooh, 357. Of Bitcoin and pre-market on GameStop is $318.80 a share. Uh, They weren't really able to crush it like they wanted to uh, over the weekend or in post-market on Friday. Uh, Like the institutions really wanted, they really tried sending it down. But it looks like the boys over at Reddit are holding strong. It's kind of amazing to see. There's a fair bit of news going on. Let's get into it. GameStop is the market crying out for Bitcoin. This is by Casey, written on January the 29th for Bitcoin Magazine. Quote from Warren Buffett. The tour we've taken through the last century proves that market irrationality of an extreme kind periodically erupts and compellingly suggests that investors wanting to do well had better learn how to deal with the next outbreak. End quote. Irrational markets are a given these days. For retail, fundamentals often do not drive investment as much as momentum and hype. And yet, with the introduction of the internet, retail investors have a chance at accessing as much information as professional traders. With this information, strong calculated decisions can be made. Once these decisions are made, of course, they are posted to Reddit, an internet forum with sub-forums, including those directed at investing. It seems simple, yet profound effects on the market are observable. With these new communication media, investors have unlocked the market playing capabilities that once only Wall Street insiders had. Of course, it was a quick matter for the power to return to Wall Street once retail investors began to threaten its bottom line. Within days of a round of short squeezes driven by a subreddit and harming the bets of hedge funds, Robinhood, the effective retail ringleader platform, had halted the trading of several securities, including GameStop, AMC, and others. Unfathomable as this would be in the past, it seems that Robinhood has decided that it knew what was best for investors. As egregious as this overstep was, it is only the symptom of a larger illness. The only money you truly control is your cash. Even then, the physical U.S. dollars that you hold are constantly depreciating. Banks, creditors, money management applications like Cash App, they're all the same. Every single one requires you to place full faith in the custodian entity, not only to protect your wealth from outside interests, but from internal interests as well. And indeed, Robinhood's actions are a shining example of the failure to do this. Only by opting out and purchasing Bitcoin can one avoid this entirely. By storing one's wealth on the Bitcoin network, a person is protected in every way. The money is entirely yours. No one can stop you from accessing it. It cannot be loaned out or restricted or held or charged interest. Through efficacious planning and insistence of community, Bitcoin prevails. Regardless of the outcome for GameStop or the other companies with securities involved, the true lesson to be learned is the inability of the people to control their own money. It is shameful. Purchase Bitcoin and you can contribute to the correction of the conditions that facilitate this grand scheme of money manipulation. Purchase Bitcoin and launch yourself beyond the control of fiat money. Yep. Casey's got it right. That's pretty much that's pretty much like last week in a nutshell, honestly. At least according to the philosophy behind why we Bitcoin. And indeed, not one, but two of my of my very good friends <clears throat> contacted me uh, both um, amazingly, amazingly, both through uh, Facebook Messenger. I am barely on Facebook. Honestly, the only thing I use Facebook to do is uh, post up the... Uh, 
announcement of each daily show with a link to uh, the podcast. And that's honestly, that's it. Except when I get messages through, through messenger, because it's, it kind of, you know, kind of dings me and I'm like, Oh, okay. So one of these guys I hadn't talked to in a couple of years and uh, used to work with him. And he finally just said, screw it, man. He's like, after watching this Robin hood shit go down, I'm, I'm going into Bitcoin. And he said the most amazing thing. I don't think he has the full trust of Bitcoin yet. I think he will because it it takes a while. Once you once you finally get off zero, it starts a chain reaction. But the he said this this thing to me that that resonated with me. He said, "If I'm going to lose money, goddamn it, I'm going to lose it on my own terms." There's something real powerful in that. Yeah, it's a it's a negative connotation. Like he's starting out with a negative connotation that he's automatically going to lose money with Bitcoin, or at least that's the the the, I don't know, the, the subliminal messaging that I'm getting from that. But the positive part is on my own terms. That's right. On my own terms. It has become painfully evident to everybody in the world that you own nothing. And you've never been happy. The only thing that you can own is Bitcoin. Everything else somehow or another can be leaned against it can be taken away from you. It can be taxed. It can like they can say, no, you can't spend it here, but you can spend it there. <clears throat> if I wanted to donate to uh, to WikiLeaks, I can only do it with Bitcoin. They are completely shut off from the entirety of the financial system. Right? You have never owned anything, and you've never been happy until now. Because Bitcoin Exodus from Coinbase Pro is the strongest bullish, bullish signal that there is. Liam Frost is writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. <clears throat> Significant amounts of Bitcoin have been flowing out of crypto exchange Coinbase lately, and this could be a strong bullish signal. According to crypto data firm CryptoQuant CEO Kai Young Ju today, According to CryptoQuant's data, just yesterday, over 15,200 BTC, worth nearly $500 million, flowed out from Coinbase Pro. <clears throat> this was likely due to huge over-the-counter trades made by institutional players, Jew asserted. Quote, Bitcoin went to custody wallets that only have incoming transactions. It's likely to be OTC deals from institutional investors, he tweeted, adding, quote, I believe this is the strongest strongest bullish signal. According to Jew, this outflow of Bitcoin was moved in transactions ranging from around 1,100 BTC to 4,400 BTC. While this could have been transactions between different wallets held by the exchanges, uh, or the exchange, there is usually no reason to split large wallets into smaller ones. Additionally, Coinbase's custody service is integrated with its OTC desks, which further point towards OTC activity, Jew added. While institutional traders use OTC desks when they want to buy or sell large amounts of an asset without sending some ripples across the market, these purchases can still affect Bitcoin's price. This is because markets have a tendency to balance themselves out. So when the supply of something is reduced and demand from retail investors stays the same, OTC deals could lead to an upward price momentum anyway, albeit a delayed one. As Decrypt reported, large institutional companies are steadily buying more Bitcoin lately. Grayscale alone holds around $23 billion in its Bitcoin trust, for example, while BlockFi has recently submitted its registration form for a similar trust. So while the price may have retraced from its Elon Musk-fueled high, demand is going through the roof. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Musk, we'll, we'll get into all that. And that that BlockFi thing is is bigger news than than you might think, but it is it's also worth noting that uh, Grayscale uses Coinbase to custody all their uh, Grayscale Bitcoin trust, right? So whatever it is that that Coinbase says that they have, you can you can just add to it whatever Grayscale says that they have. So just just saying, Coinbase still holds. Um, an obscene amount of BTC. I wish it weren't that way because that company is just has been has really shown its true colors over the last few years to be not so Bitcoin friendly, even though that Bitcoin made their entire business and made their owner rich beyond his wildest dreams. So what's next for Bitcoin in an era of helicopter money, negative interest rates and 
big debt. <laughs> we'll find out. Philip Shar is going to tell us from Bitcoin Magazine. He's writing this one on, I think, uh, late Friday. <clears throat> if we are to understand Bitcoin's meteoric rise, we must return to 2008. After all, the world's largest cryptocurrency by market capitalization is a child of the global financial crisis. Once Lehman Brothers went into bankruptcy, many banks and financial institutions across the globe followed. Governments all over the world soon stepped in, bailing them out. Three days after Lehman went bust, Hank Paulson, U.S. Secretary for the Treasury, and Ben Bernanke, head of the Federal Reserve, went to President George W. Bush and him, uh, quote, we need... We need a trillion dollars in cash and we need it by five o'clock, end quote, as Steve Bannon, a former Goldman Sachs investment banker and advisor to President Donald Trump, recalled in 2018. <clears throat> After Bush shrugged them away, Paulson and Bernanke went to Congress where they repeated their plea, quote, if we don't have a trillion dollars by today, the American financial system will melt down in 72 hours. The world financial system will melt down in two weeks and there will be global anarchy, Bannon recounted. God, it sounds like they were holding him hostage. While the global financial system didn't slide into the abyss, trust had been lost in a monetary system that ran on trust. Robert Schiller, named a Nobel laureate in 2013, pointed out that the experiences surrounding the financial crisis wove the narrative for Bitcoin. Quote, I think... Narrative is very important to the popularity of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, he said. Part of the reason that Bitcoin succeeded is that it fed into an anarchism narrative that government is unnecessary and untrustworthy, <clears throat> which they would have included unworthy in there. It fostered a narrative that young people have created a financial institution that is out of the government's reach. That's powerful narrative, in quote. Uh, though the U.S. and EU economies had been out of the woods for a while, neither the Fed nor the European Central Bank had stopped their addiction to expansionary monetary policies. Then COVID-19 came, piling pressure on the Fed and ECB to open the financial floodgates another time. As the United States government distributed $1,200 stimulus checks to its citizens, Milton Friedman's helicopter money became a reality. Yet Friedman was prescient enough to know that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, as the saying goes. In 2020, the U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio skyrocketed to unprecedented levels. With modern monetary theory in vogue, many economists believe that huge government debt is not a problem. Yet at some point, the day of reckoning arrives. As, you, as of now, there are three main ways for governments to deal with debt per Winklevoss Capital. Quote, they can choose to, one, not pay some portion of their debt, a hard default. Two, adopt austerity measures in hopes of running a budget surplus. Good luck. Or three, reduce the value of the debt they own through inflation, which is a soft default. <clears throat> With more than a fifth of all dollars in circulation being printed in 2020, the United States government picked the path of a soft soft default. Cynics may point out that COVID-19 even provided the United States government with a noble excuse for printing money and thus reducing its debt burden. While we've witnessed inflation in various areas, including equity prices and real estate, the real inflation rate measured by the CPI remains low. Oh, God. Guys, the CPI is a basket of economic calculations that fit whatever narrative they want to fit. So they pull things out and put other things in as long as the CPI reflects the 2% inflation rate. It's a lie. Stop looking at the CPI. There are better measures for it. I wish they would say that. Continuing on, yet inflation doesn't simply happen whenever more money is pumped into the system. The velocity of money matters. For the velocity of money to rise, people need to stop hoarding money and spend it. This could either happen voluntarily or through a collapse in trust. The former scenario might happen when the virus is defeated, while the latter could happen if the people's confidence in both the government and the future collapses, akin to what went down in the Weimar Republic. However, there is a third way that masquerades under the acronym CBDC. The abbreviation conceals the ECB's panacea central bank digital currencies in the form of a digital euro. The digital euro is nothing less than immaterial cash. Instead of carrying it in your purse, you have your own account at the ECB. Given the digital euro's proposed use of blockchain technology, this might sound tempting, yet on the way are several red flags. One of them was pointed out by Jorge Kramer, chief economist of Commerzbank, who noted that it would unnecessarily make the state more powerful at the expense of its citizens. 
The heightened potential for citizen surveillance explains the allure for China's government to experiment with a digital wand. Any transaction could be tracked via the blockchain ledger. Further, Bill Campbell, a portfolio manager for DoubleLine, highlighted another troubling aspect of CBDCs. With CBDCs, the central bank would possess the necessary plumbing to directly deliver a digital currency to the individual's bank accounts, ready to be spent via debit cards. Such a mechanism could open veritable floodgates of liquidity into the consumer economy and accelerate the rate of inflation. But perhaps this hypothesis illustrates the most troubling aspect of a digital euro. Assuming that the digital euro gradually replaces cash, it would be impossible to evade negative interest rates. Not willing to see their deposits deflate, people would stop hoarding money, looking for safe harbors, but also increasing consumption. This would inevitably raise the velocity of money, pushing the rate of inflation higher. When confronted with such scenarios in the past, people searched for safe harbors. They usually found them in gold, yet with everything becoming digitized, it was only a matter of time until gold found its digital equivalent. And Bitcoin wants to be that, or at least that's what the crypto community hopes for. The brilliant author Niall Ferguson succinctly captured Bitcoin's allure. Quote, Bitcoin is the only digital asset or token that has scarcity built in. Everything in the internet is defined by a superabundance. Bitcoin is the exception. End quote. While gold supply continuously increases as demand rose over the years, Bitcoin supply is capped by the default or by default at 21 million Bitcoin. As Bitcoin's price reached record heights in recent weeks, some believed <laughs> that we are finally destined to witness economic fr economist Frederick Hayek's denationalization de of money. In 1976, he wrote, quote, I don't believe we shall ever have a good money again before we take the thing out of the hands of government. That is, we can't take it violently out of the hands of government. All we can do is, by some sly roundabout way, introduce something that they can't stop, end quote. He also wrote, I do not think it is an exaggeration to say history is largely a history of inflation. Usually, inflations engineered by governments are for the gain of governments, end quote. Hayek believed that people, if given the opportunity, would punish producers of inflationary money by abandoning it. As governments would no longer be able to reduce their debt burdens through inflation, it would also enforce fiscal discipline. Thus, currency competition would serve as an effective debt break. Until the advent of the Internet, governments didn't have to worry about competing currencies that were out of their reach. Yet, with the decentralized structure of cryptocurrencies, currency competition in the spirit of Hayek has arrived. Looking ahead, the crucial question will be if governments decide to rein in on Bitcoin. ECB President Christine Lagarde, who's a convict, yes, she was convicted. She didn't get a sentence, but she was definitely convicted. <clears throat> Her recent comments served as a warning shot, quote, There has to be regulation. This has to be applied and agreed upon at a global level because there, if there is an escape, that escape will be used, end quote. That should really freak you out, by the way. Let's read that one again. At a global level, <clears throat> because if there is an escape, that escape will be used. Well, Jesus, I mean, usually you're escaping from something that's very dangerous. I don't escape from, like, I don't escape from overabundance of goodwill and love, okay? I don't try to escape from a really good movie. I would try to escape from that really good movie if the movie theater was on fire. That's when escapes will be used, so what are you saying there, Miss Convict? Are you saying that it's on fire? I think she is. A look at history provides another blink, bleak reminder. During the Great Depression, Franklin D. Roosevelt enacted Executive Order 6102, banning gold ownership. The ban lasted for 41 years until 1974. As the crypto community experiences peerless euphoria, it might be worthwhile to revisit history. The time of governments as bystanders will come to an end sooner rather than later. And I think what he's saying here is that we have now entered in into the they fight you stage. All right, we knew it was coming. I mean, there wasn't a single person out there that, that I know that's in this space that wasn't expecting governments to start really fighting back. The great thing about this is sort of like the British Empire during the American Revolution. When the early colonists <clears throat> revolted, it just so happened that uh, the British Empire was sort of embroiled in, in a whole bunch of other shit at the same time, right? 
uh, India comes to mind. They were having some, uh, they were having some fairly serious problems that required a lot of military hardware, and that was already like halfway around the world, and it wasn't readily deployable in the colonies. So they ended up having to send what was it, Cornwallis, who is admittedly a second stringer military mind wise by all accounts. And it was honestly probably because of that that the American Revolution came to pass. Not simply because we were fighting tooth and nail, but simply, but added to that the fact that the British military was not able to bring to bear its, you know, its real heavy hitters. And they sent Cornwallis and, well, the rest is, as they say, history. Now, getting back to this thing where they say, I'm trying to think, with Weimar Republic, yeah, Let's uh, read this last sentence here. The former scenario might happen when the virus is defeated, while the latter could happen if the people's confidence in both the government and the future collapses, akin to what went down in the Weimar Republic. And this was referring, they were starting, or he was starting to talk about the velocity of money, not just the money printing, right? But the velocity of money or money being spent and spent again and spent again and spent again. That's the, where you get the velocity of money, all right? That's where you feel the full effects. Like right now, sort of like the way that the money is being printed, the way it's being distributed and to whom is much akin to me buying Bitcoin over the counter. Where I'm not releasing, I'm, I'm not definitely releasing my buy signals because I'm not market buying Bitcoin. So let's say I've got... I don't know, let's say I had $10 billion or whatever and dropped it all on Bitcoin. All right. If I were to do that on the market, I would, I would suffer slippage to the upside that would just be, it would just be, it would be stupid of me to do that. So what would I do? Well, I'd go and find somebody who's willing to sell me, a, you know, several packages of Bitcoin totaling $10 billion. And I'd probably see a little bit of slippage with those guys, but not like market buying where I'm sending the signal out to everybody. That's sort of like what's going on. We've got trillions of dollars being printed, and yet the velocity of the money is staying the same because that money is not really hitting the open market, right? If it was, we'd have larger problems. So what happened in the Weimar Republic is that they started doing the same shit, trying to get rid of their debt. So they just printed and printed and printed and printed and printed. We won't get into what their debt was stemming from. That was out of the world, out of World War One kind of thing. But you know, you can go read that on yourself. But they printed and printed and printed, but they were, and, and they were giving a lot of it, uh, honestly, to the citizens of the Weimar Republic, but they were freaking out and they weren't spending it. They were literally stashing it into their mattresses, right? And it wasn't until a, a while later that the citizenry were like, I've got to get rid of this cash. It's like just, it's melting before my eyes. And when that shit happened, the floodgates really did unlock. And man, you saw inflation just, it was like, it was, it was gradually then suddenly. It was a very real gradually then suddenly situation. Because once they all collect, collectively decided that they had to get rid of their cash, all of a sudden the velocity of money, it was like the velocity of a dam breaking, right? And that's when the shit hit the fan, right? So Keep that in mind as we go through the, the idiocy that we're seeing right now with governments, not just the United States government, but honestly, every single government around the world is doing stupid shit right now. Uh, future of real estate under a Bitcoin standard. <clears throat> this is a bit interesting. This is BTC Times, uh, Joe Burnett, writing January the 31st. We are in the early stages of a transition between two monetary systems, NFI and DeFi. No, I'm not talking about DeFi as in decentralized finance. I'm talking about InFi, inflationary finance, and DeFi, deflationary finance. As we begin moving away from man-made InFi and towards the inevitable game-theoretic convergence on DeFi, deflationary finance, we can begin to visualize the new financial system that will likely leave the heads of many 20th century Wall Street experts spinning. To be clear... DeFi is when the world is entirely under a Bitcoin standard, aka hyper-Bitcoinization. This is a direct result of Bitcoin's unique monetary proper 
properties that heavily incentivize all individuals to save Bitcoin due to a natural free market forces. This new system of DeFi will change the way we invest and consume forever. In the InFi world, the price of real estate trends upwards. This is due to real estate having a significantly higher stock to flow ratio or scarcity than the InFi currency, the United States dollar. The ability to purchase real estate with cheap credit mortgage debt, and endlessly rising future cash flows or rent. In the DeFi world, this likely won't be the case for the long run. Unlike Bitcoin, real estate has serious carrying costs, including property taxes, management costs, and maintenance costs. In addition, Bitcoin will eventually have a stock-to-flow ratio that is infinitely higher than real estate, and cheap long-term debt will not be available to purchase real estate. Taking a look at the St. Louis Fed's housing pricing or price index denominated in Bitcoin, we can see a very, very clear downward trend. Of course, the trend won't always be this significant, but there are good reasons to assume the trend will never reverse. And they have a housing price index against uh, BTC in log format. And it very much resembles the degradation of the dollar's purchasing power since 1913. Uh, but this, this chart goes from basically, what, 2010 to where we are today in 2021. And if you look at that on a linear chart, it like crashes. The, it's, a house, it's the same housing price index, but in linear format rather than log format. And just think of the inverse of looking at the Bitcoin price chart in linear versus log. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, when you're charting long-term price history and you're using linear, you are doing it wrong. And I'm talking long-term, like when you're looking at the entire history. You have to use a logarithmic scale, otherwise you will not be able to see the nuances and all the <clears throat> quote-unquote, well, it's not really noise, but all the, the little peccadillos that came out in the past will be buried in a linear chart. So this linear chart basically flatlines by 2012 and stays flat until where we are today damn near close to zero. In fact, we're talking about zero point, zero point, between 0 0.1 and 0 0.01 on the index. So it's really close to zero. Real estate is not as scarce as you may think, <clears throat> especially in comparison to Bitcoin, which is perfectly scarce. While there are 7.8 billion people in the world, there's still plenty of area to develop residential or commercial buildings on undeveloped land. Developers can also always build up. The One World Trade Center is worth, is worth $3.9 billion and has 94 floors and is basically mostly empty, by the way. I've been there. It's kind of sad. Looking far into the future, new land can be created on artificial islands. Flevopolder, Flevopolder? Oh, whatever. An artificial island in the Netherlands measures 374 square miles. And as technology progresses, it will become easier to inhabit new lands, including a potential Mars colony. Elon Musk. In a DeFi world, uh, real estate will lose its store value nature and its price will be based on its actual utility. Since its price will be denominated in Bitcoin, its carrying cost, low stock to flow ratio compared to Bitcoin, and its relatively constant utility will generally result in a downward trend of its price over time. Bitcoin will change the nature of real estate forever. Instead of borrowing money to purchase a house, individuals will borrow houses by posting Bitcoin as collateral. Below is how this may work. One, house lenders have inventory. Bitcoin holders need a place to live, but don't want to give up their valuable Bitcoin. The Bitcoin, two, the Bitcoin holder borrows a house by posting Bitcoin as collateral. Three, the Bitcoin holder pays monthly interest payments to the house lender using Lightning. Four, if the house lender calls the house and the Bitcoin holder doesn't give it back, they keep the Bitcoin collateral. So why do this? Well, here are the pros for the property owners. In case of default, you get paid in the world's best monetary asset, <laughs> Bitcoin. The Bitcoin you receive will be worth more than the value of the house over time. Two, you earn monthly interest payments in BTC on your property. Pros for the property borrowers, you retain ownership of your Bitcoin since it will retain its value better than the house itself. You are renting with the option to buy. You can't get forced out of your home by a landlord. Oh, I don't know about that last one, guys. I, uh, there's a little, there's, 
There's a bit of hyperbole here, but whatever. Global Bitcoin adoption will flip the entire financial system upside down, transitioning from a debt-based monetary system to an equity-based system where Bitcoin is the world's best collateral, will bring massive opportunities that <clears throat> to those that are able to recognize this first. So, oh, okay. So look, listen, I'm not sure about this, honestly. It's, it's not that they're wrong, the, the author is wrong about real estate's value relative to Bitcoin over time going forward because we already have the data that suggests what it's been so far and it doesn't look good for real estate. However, this has a very dangerous similarity to the you'll own nothing and be happy. Well, somebody's going to own something. I mean, come on. It's like if, if I literally as a citizen of the United States under modern monetary theory can look forward to owning not a damn thing and renting everything and I'll finally be happy or whatever the bullshit narrative that they're spinning up now is, um, it, that, this sounds like that. Somebody owns the house that I'm going to be renting. Who is that? If nobody owns anything, then who the hell owns the house? Right? That, that's where modern monetary theory and this whole new you, you'll own nothing and be happy thing, that's you should be not happy about that shit whatsoever, right? Okay, so uh, Elon Musk now supports Bitcoin saying that it is a good thing. Of course, we, we, we know that. I mean, come on, let's, let's be clear. Um, so I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna get into this story, but it is resonating. The Elon Musk posting Bitcoin in his Twitter bio really did some funky things with the price of Bitcoin. I mean, it was like, and it was so short lived. I, I kind of expected the price to stay up a lot longer than what it did, which means maybe, well, not means, but maybe it suggests that Elon's, you know, foray into Bitcoin and Elon as a person himself and as a uh, influencer, maybe he's not so as, you know, as much influential now as we thought. All right. And honestly, I kind of think that that's good. I really do. I think that the Elon pump being as short lived as it was speaks more to Bitcoin staying, you know, staying where it is and doing a sideways consolidation as being more important than what some billionaire says. I actually, I actually think the whole thing was kind of good. This is also kind of good. Bitcoin subreddit hits 2 million subscribers following the GameStop controversy. Turner Wright writing this one for Cointelegraph. Uh, one of the most well-known online Bitcoin communities passed 2 million subscribers in a surge of activity on Friday, reportedly due to the media attention over the Wall Street Bets subreddit. According to metrics for Reddit Analytics website, the subreddit r slash Bitcoin has 2.18 million subscribers at the time of publication, making it the 178th most popular subreddit among more than 100,000 active pages. The Bitcoin subreddit hit the 2 million subscriber milestone on Friday, more than 18 months after reaching 1 million. Though much of the growth in the subreddit following the 2017 bull run was gradual, interest in our Bitcoin exploded last week with more than 200,000 accounts subscribing to the page between January 26th and January 30th, taking it from 1.9 million to 2.8 million. Many, well, no, 2 point, sorry, 2.18 million. Many of the new subscribers may have been drawn to the subreddit following mainstream media outlets reporting on retail investors from Wall Street bets going up against major Wall Street traders, short selling GameStop stock in a financial David and Goliath story. In addition to being covered in rags like the Wall Street Journal and New York Times, the story and allegations of market manipulation on the part of hedge funds and brokers caught the attention of United States lawmakers and were featured prominently in a Saturday Night Live sketch yesterday. The R Bitcoin subreddit was created in September 2010, two years after the release of the Bitcoin white paper. Since that time, its influence on the crypto space has been immeasurable, providing news, rumors, memes, and comedy to Bitcoin newbies and hodlers alike. Look, okay, I've been in for six years now. I rarely go over to the Bitcoin subreddit. It's honestly, it's a dumpster fire. And what's worse is RBTC, which is a Bitcoin cash subreddit. It is, they're honestly, they're both terrible. They're, I mean, Wall Street Bets is much more fun to go look at, honestly. And I have never been influenced by what anything that I've ever heard from uh, the Bitcoin subreddit. I literally do not give a shit. If you want to, hey man, more power to you, but uh, whatever. It's, it's just, it's a dumpster fire. But be, with that 
with that said, uh, let me, I need to, uh, I, th- I want to get the per number here so that I'm not lying to you. Uh, the Wall Street Bets subreddit, which is r slash Wall Street Bets, has grown to 7.8 million people. Do I need to say that again? When I first heard about this, this whole thing, I started, I think I started uh, really listening up as to what was going on <clears throat> sometime around Tuesday of last week, last week, okay? It was 2.9 million people. It may have even been slightly lower than that, but it was 2.9 million people. Here we are the Monday after that Tuesday and it's 7.8 million people. Nobody's talking about this. I mean, that, that entire article should have mentioned the fact that the Wall Street bets is literally just stomping all over the, the Bitcoin subreddit in terms of new signups. And nobody is saying dick about it. So I'll say it one more time. From 2.9 million degenerate people that really have had their fill with Wall Street, now stands at 7.8 million degenerates who have had their fill of Wall Street. Just... Honestly, let that sink in, all right? Uh, Let's run the numbers. I hadn't seen this shit in a while, uh, in in a long time. In fact, um, everything is up. Everything is in the green, dude. I mean everything. CNBC.com forward slash futures and commodities has the following. Oil up. 1%. 1%. Uh, West Texas Intermediate costs $52.77. Brent North Sea is $55.81. That's a 1.5% move to the upside. Natural gas up 7.5%. Holy shit, man. $2.75 is what it's going to cost you for a thousand cubic feet of it. Gold is up almost a point. $1,865. The real story? I don't know, it's a real bad story, but it's a real story. Silver is up eleven and a half percent. It's just tagged thirty bucks an ounce on silver. There's a short. They're trying. All right, silver's probably uh, alongside of gold is probably the most shorted commodity on the face of the planet. Has been for decades. We're starting to find this out. Just now, I mean, we're, we're, you know, all of us have to learn. And if you're not an insider in Wall Street, you probably didn't know. I certainly didn't. But silver is, from what's being reported, is the most shorted commodity ever in the history of mankind. And there's so much shorts against it that it made it a natural target for, guess who? Wall Street bets, who are betting that they can swing that. I am very dubious. With the I mean, okay. GameStop being the most shorted equity right now, okay, I get it. You know, um, we're talking a couple of billion dollars for silver, the worldwide silver market. I don't think seven point eight million people are going to be able to swing it. I hope I'm maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but there's a lot of fear right now. I'm see like I don't I'm I'm seeing a lot of weird messaging going on with the whole silver play, but it looks like the Wall Street bets guys. In, in different telegram groups, it seems like they're all going after silver. So over the weekend, we've seen we've seen messages out of like JM Bullion, JD, uh, Gold and Silver, and Apex or Ampex or something like that. Another sil- uh, physical silver provider. All of them, all of them on their websites have warnings that they either cannot process orders right now, or at least over the weekend they were saying until the silver market opens Sunday evening. We have no access to sil- uh, physical silver to be able to fill your orders, so you will have to wait. So there's a physical silver buying spree going on right now, and we will have to see. But after an 11.5% gain uh, over this, I guess, over the weekend, I don't know. I would probably, I don't want to say stay away from it because I don't want you guys to miss out, but. I just can't, I just can't for the life of me come to say, get in on it. Because if they pull the plug, because they're, I mean, the, the shorts that are, that are represented behind the silver play make the GameStop short look like child's play. Okay. Very dangerous territory right there. Platinum is up 5%. Wow. $52 and two, uh, 20 cents to the upside coming in at $1,131 an ounce. 
Copper's down a quarter. Palladium is up 3.1%. Uh, let's see, where are we at in indices? All that shit's up too. Dow is up 0.8%. S&P futures up over one point. The NASDAQ futures up 1.12%. And the S&P mini is coming in up 1.14%. But let's talk about real actual money that nobody can really confiscate. $34,265.99 is the price I'm getting on Bitcoin. Uh, is that my high? That's going to be my high. My low is going to be over at Coinbase Pro, $34,033.15. Only 282,000 transactions have been made over the last 24 hours. That's 11,776 transactions every hour on average. We've had 421 point or 421,900 BTC sent in that period. We that ends up being about 17,582 BTC being sent on average per hour with the average transaction value being one and a half BTC and a median transaction value of 0.016 BTC, $551 USD. Now, I haven't seen it that low in quite a while. Block times are high, 50, oh, 50 minutes. 10 minutes and 50 seconds. We've had 0.8 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 107.3 BTC taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We've had a hash rate increase of 6.7%. That brings us up to 146.9 exahashes per second. Let's see what Doge is doing. <laughs> Four cents. <laughs> it Doge won't let go. Uh, it got up as high as like seven or, or eight cents or something like that on, on all the various pumps that were going on over the weekend. Don't be fooled. Dogecoin is still a shit coin. Okay. And I mentioned this in a tweet sometime, probably yesterday. I did nothing. I got a bag of Doge. I've had that bag of Doge for years, man. I mean, when I first got into this shit, I was like everybody else. I got, oh man, so here's some ether. And, and oh, look at this. It's Dogecoin. It's a meme coin. Got to get some of that shit. Look at the price. I mean, I was, I was exposed to unit bias as well, right? So what did I do? Nothing. I did dick. I didn't do a damn thing with my Doge. I have, I have literally no incentive at this point to get my hardware wallet out, get my Doge over to Kraken or whatever I'm going to use, and then try to trade it for Bitcoin and then put, my, and put more Bitcoin back. Because I just don't give that much of a shit about it. I mean, if, if it were to do something stupid like get to 25 cents per Doge or whatever, yeah, I'd probably go ahead and, and pull that trigger. I don't expect that to happen. I don't expect you to go go buy Doge. Okay, that this whole Doge pump is coming out of the likes of the Wall Street bets guys. And today, Gene Simmons is in the news saying that he owns Doge and XRP and all kinds of it's just. It's all stupid, so don't worry about it. Um, it's it is worthy of note that <clears throat> Dogecoin has had 51,000 transactions in the last 24 hours though. And that's due definitely to the, the buying frenzy that, that we're seeing. But if you want to retain your money, buy Bitcoin, make sure it's BTC and not, or XBT, depending on what exchange that you're on. Do not fall for the forks. Don't do it. It's, they're not Bitcoin. And BSV as one of those forks is being delisted across the board. Thank God people are coming to their senses. 45,000 transactions on BTC have occurred in, uh, or, or rather are chilling out, and they are going to need 85 blocks to clear that. Um, the, we've captured 5.2% of Bitcoin's market, or of gold's market cap, and 18 ounces of gold is what you'll get if you want to part with one of your Bitcoin. Don't do that. Market capitalization stands at $630 billion U.S. There are 18,616,231.6 BTC in, in circulation at the time. And Clark Moody's price is $33,850. We have had a lot more BTC dropped into Lightning, uh, like 10 more BTC, in fact. We have 1,062.38 BTC. That has a capacity uh, or forces a capacity of $36 million USD. That's being run over 8,571 lightning nodes. And that has 37,462 lightning channels. 
a small increase in the percentage of Tor capacity for Lightning. We have 52.8% of the Lightning network being run over Tor, and there are 560.63 BTC in the Tor side of the network being run over 3,266 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. All right, let's talk about this Doge thing a little bit more because it's going along with the whole GameStop thing. Crypto long and short, GameStop, Dogecoin, and the new market paradigm. This is Coindesk's uh, Noelle Atchison, I think is how you pronounce her name. Uh, She's writing this one on January the 31st. It's hard to do justice to the symbolism and significance of the Reddit Robinhood GameStop drama of the past week. That's not to say it hasn't been overblown in some quarters. I've heard it compared to the Capitol riots. No, that was sedition. God, Jesus. This is rebellion. Very different. I've seen calls for the regulators to step in and shut down retail trading platforms, even though it's not clear a crime has been committed. And I've read takes painting the leaders of the charge as misfits. That condescension itself is part of the problem. The protagonists are not misfits. They are retail investors flexing their collective muscle, the very same muscle the establishment encouraged them to develop. Retail investors were encouraged to invest their savings in the stock market. They were offered mobile apps that made it easy. They were bombarded with advice and ideas from mainstream media. They were given money to spend, and low yields pushed them up the risk curve. While the attention has been focused on a handful of stocks that have been have seen astronomical gains on the back of retail enthusiasm, the origin and the result, whatever that ends up being, have a lot to do with the crypto markets. We're not trying to steal anyone's thunder. The Wall Street Bets channel that galvanized the troops and led the charge did not welcome crypto trade, traders or even chatter. Their drivers are not decentralization or fair access. Rather, they seem motivated by glee at their newfound power and anger. The anger runs deep. The 139% short position against GameStop signaled heavy hedge fund involvement, but this was a trigger, not a cause. This rebellion feels like an expression of pent-up frustration at the skewed rules of capital markets that entrench the power of the elite combined with residual resentment over 2008 bank bailouts, the lack of market transparency, and a long list of generational grievances. As similar old versus new mindsets drive the crypto markets, many of us were drawn to Bitcoin out of the concern for the impact on individual prosperity from defensive decisions taken by entrenched interests. Others were attracted to the concept of decentralized finance as an antidote to the potential damage done by consolidated power, and there's the strong vote for financial sovereignty and commercial freedom. All of us watched how traditional finance initially rejected the notion that a programmable token could ever have value or that code could produce yield. The success of crypto markets has forced much of the old guard to gradually recognize that things are changing. The events of this week will no doubt drive home that message. What's more, the very same platforms that sold themselves on the democratization of finance ended up restricting users' accesses to certain trades this week with the market in full swing. Can you think of a more public spotlight on the vulnerabilities inherent in the current market infrastructure? Google Trends shows that searches for DeFi, short for decentralized finance, are growing. Jesus, guys are going to get lunch, man. There is a risk that the new administration will use the retail investor rebellion as an excuse to overregulate, yet popular sentiment seems to be with rebels as legislature legislators are no doubt aware. I don't recall ever seeing Ted Cruz agree with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez before. Yeah, he retweeted her. And he ain't the only one that he, he they aren't they ain't the only pair of uh, opposites that are in full agreement on this shit. However, how much of their agreement is lip service is yet to be seen. But let's continue. What's more, the nomination of Gary Gensler, who is both knowledgeable and generally supportive of crypto markets, to the post of chairman of the United States Security and Exchange Commission, could hint at the beginning of structural reform in favor of more democrat democratic access. I wouldn't bet on it. It could also move the needle on investor understanding of some of the underlying qualities of blockchain-based assets and their markets. True, access to these markets has some hurdles, such as jurisdiction and familiarity with technology, but investor choice and user experience has never been better. And with 
some large market infrastructure players intending to go public this year will continue to improve. It's not just market structure that is likely to be re-examined as the result of this week's events. Market understanding needs a rethink too. This also has a lot to do with crypto assets. I lost count this week of the number of mainstream commentators that spluttered on about fundamentals and how the price shouldn't move so much when GameStop situation hasn't changed. They're wrong. Whether the stock is currently overvalued or not, I have no opinion on that, but the company's situation and fundamentals have changed. One, there's massive publicity. Two, aside from the potential future revenue from selling games, there is probably a merchandising opportunity through branded mugs and pitchforks. Three, there's a groundswell of support for the share price, only this is not traditionally considered worthy of consideration in asset valuation, but it should be. Investopedia defines business fundamentals as information such as profitability, revenue, assets, liabilities, and growth potential. I would add to that the list of public support. Critics of the idea will say that sentiment is ephemeral, impractical to estimate, and therefore impossible to value, while traditional fundamentals are tangible and can be discounted. These days, though, even the tangible ones are mere estimates, which, as we have seen, can vary widely, or rather wildly, and be rendered useless by unforeseen events. We also have seen how sentiment move markets, and not just on a short-term basis. No analyst can reasonably ignore its power, and insisting that portfolio decisions, quote, stick to the basics, is assuming that things will go back to the way they were 50 years ago when investors parked their money in safe securities and forgot about them until retirement. The power unleashed this week may remind some of us oldies of 1999 when market fever crested before crashing, but back then we didn't have the power of social media, a generation stuck indoors, and helicopter money from the government. We also weren't looking for an unprecedented low level of social dislocation, loss of trust in institutions, and belief in the strength of community. Today's markets may turn south at any moment, and when they do, it's likely to be ugly. But in contrast to the turn of the century, retail participation is unlikely to fade. This cultural shift is about more than making money. The newfound power of retail investors has shown that sentiment not only trumps earnings forecasts, but it can, it can impact them. The very same investors piling into the stock are the same demographic that GameStop's future business will target. The collective power showed that market mood is a fundamental characteristic of markets now more than ever. Some of the price jumps this week may have been driven by hedge funds who understand this and were placing buy orders accordingly. While volatility is likely to eventually quiet down and business anal analysis should always have a significant role in investment decisions, we can no longer say that sentiment isn't a fundamental component of an asset's price outlook. This is especially relevant with crypto assets. Critics have often accused Bitcoin of having no, quote, fundamental value, by which they mean no cash flow, balance sheet, or potential earnings growth. True, it doesn't have these things, but it does have widespread belief in its utility, monetary policy, and eventual adoption by an even broader community. That faith should be considered a fundamental characteristic, as it, it is now obvious it drives price appreciation. But Bitcoin is not the only clear example of that. Warning, shitcoinery on the way. This week saw the price of Dogecoin at one stage surge tenfold, up 500% at time of writing. Briefly pushing the cryptocurrency into the list of the top 10 crypto assets by market cap, Doge doesn't do anything special. It has a cute dog as its logo. Its founder disavowed the project ages ago. Some people have hyped it as a joke, which then became part, of, became part of its narrative. In other words, its unpretentious lack of fundamentals has become part of its value. We may deride people who put savings into a purely sentiment-driven asset, but that sentiment has kept Doge alive for over six years now and has attracted a smattering of high-profile followers. As an analyst trained in old-school valuations and portfolio allocation techniques, I understand the reluctance to let go of comfortable heuristics. Personally, I miss discounted cash flows, so nice and clean. But as market components and participants change, so must market analysis. Does anyone even remember when last value stocks were in favor? I don't. Crypto markets have for some time been pushing the boundaries of what value means. The new generation of investors is showing us that old rules need re-examining. They are also permanently blurring the boundaries between institutional smart money and retail dumb money. What's more, they are showing that reform can be initiated by those that previously had little influence on how profits are made. 
This is the crypto market origin and ethos in a nutshell. New rules for a new type of investor. The crypto assets market was born in the retail world and cultivated from the ground up. It attracts investors looking for an alternative to the traditional system. It has given birth to new metrics and value paradigms. All of us who work in the industry have watched this week's power shift with the feeling that what we've been expecting is finally starting to happen. A new type of investor is insisting on new rules, a new language, and mainstream markets are starting to take notes. This new type of investor, be the angry at elites and unequal rules, fascinated by the emergence of a new type of asset, or both will force a rewrite of some long-established rules of investment and in doing so, push the philosophy behind the term value towards a more flexible defini definition for our changing times. So there's, there's some good points in there. It's, it's a good opinion on, on what's going on. And I'm, by good opinion, I mean at least well, you know, thought out and, you know, fairly well researched and, and put together. I don't agree with all of it. You know, there's, there's some parts of it that I, I, I don't agree with, uh, but it, it is an opinion and it sort of kind of nutshells what, ha what's kind of happened last week. Cause it's, it's, you know, when, when you're in the heat of the moment, it kind of is good to like step away from that, wait a few days and figure out what the hell happened. And it looks like, you know, her main, mainer, you know, major point of new paradigm, I, that's the part I agree with. I think we're looking at a new paradigm. I mean, you got, look, I don't hate Tesla, but I don't like, I mean, I, I'm not overjoyed at the fact of its stock price versus its, its earnings, right? I mean, it made like, what, $715 million last year? Dude, the, the company is like, the most like somehow or another, the most valued company in the world. It certainly is larger than all of the United States auto manufacturers. And yet it has no, nowhere close to the revenue of those same auto manufacturers. It's ridiculously priced compared to its earnings, but it's, you know, cult of personality will go a long way. There's a, there, there is a new paradigm coming on here. However, at one point or another, we're going to find like some kind of balance between cult of personality stocks and actual value stocks. And the deal is, is that I don't even care about stocks anymore. I just worry about sound money. That's it. That's all I really need. I mean, if you fix the money, you fix the world. If you fix the money, you fix bullshit, bullshit companies that have stock prices that are ridiculously high. The only reason Tesla's ridiculously high is they got nowhere else to go, man. They got nowhere else to go. Commercial real estate, you're going to die. It's going to kill you. Even residential real estate at this point, I'm not so sure. As far as residential real estate, maybe if you just concentrate on vacation homes because people are just going to start moving around for their jobs because they don't have to be at any office. I mean, that one I could actually see as, a, as, as having some kind of growth potential, but in the middle, you know, buying houses in the middle of Detroit, probably not going to do you very well. All right. So let's get into some of this, this other stuff while we're winding down. India proposes cryptocurrency ban. All right. I'm not going to read the story. The whole thing that you saw on Twitter over the weekend, the FUD that came out about the India ban, it's proposed legislation. We've been here before many, many times. Stop reading the FUD, all right? India, we don't know what India is going to do. We never know what India is going to do. They flip-flop more times than, than you can even possibly imagine. But Pakistan, which borders right on their northwest, is starting to mine Bitcoin and has actually been mining Bitcoin for quite a while. Pakistan is not a force, uh, is not a force to be sneezed at when it comes to the relations between how powerful Pakistan is versus how powerful India is, and the fact that the two countries do not like each other. They don't. They've never liked each other. Hindus and Muslims, for whatever reason, seem to not get along, right? I don't know why. It doesn't really matter. But Pakistan's going to end up taking the lead on India because they are probably not going to reverse their position on Bitcoin. India cannot make up its mind. And that kind of feeble mentality kind of bullshit, especially when you're bordering a very powerful enemy and that enemy has a clear conscience about what the fuck they're doing. 
man, I don't know. India is playing a very dangerous game at this point since Pakistan entered into the Bitcoin mining arena. Um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Uh, BlockFi takes on Grayscale and files for a Bitcoin trust with the SEC. Eric Jenks going to write this one for Decrypt. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but let's get the the parameters here. Crypto lending firm BlockFi yesterday filed a registration form for a Bitcoin trust with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. If uh, the trust, if greenlit by the U.S. financial regulator, would compete directly with a giant Grayscale Bitcoin trust. Uh, details of the registration form are scant, but other examples of Bitcoin trust involve publicly traded shares in a pot of privately invested money that the trust uses to buy Bitcoin. Uh, shares in such trusts often trade at a huge premium to the cryptocurrency in which the trust invests. Plus, there's often a large management fee. All right. So honestly, that's all you really need to know at this point. As far as I know, this is going to be the third full-blown Bitcoin trust that there is in North America, there's one, and I can't remember the company that just opened up in uh, Canada, I believe. And of course, we all know Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. But a third one's coming up. The, the problem with these are that if an ETF ever comes out, these companies don't have a, a reason for existence. So they'll have to pivot. Uh, how they'll make money in the future, I don't know. But I don't think Barry Silver really gives a shit. He's the one that he, he, he got on the scene first with a Bitcoin Trust. He's made a lot of money. If an ETF comes out, he'll just do something different. I guarantee it. Last up is that MGM and the Winklevi are going to make a movie about the whole GameStop investor thing on Wall Street. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, Metro Goldwyn Mayer is already set to make a movie telling the weak old story of a group of retail investors from social media platform Reddit who took on the financial might of Wall Street. Uh, according to a report from Deadline on Sunday, MGM acquired the movie rights to a book proposal known as the Anti-Social Network on Friday from New York Times bestselling author Ben Murch. Ben also did the, uh, he's the one that also did the, uh, wrote the book, The Social Network, which was turned into a movie. But I mean, the Winklevi purchased movie rights to a book proposal. The thing hasn't even been written. It's simply a proposal. And yet the Winklevi know, you know, know enough to know that they want the rights to this book, especially if it's going to be written by Ben Merch or Mesrick. I'm sorry, Ben Mesrick is his name. Um, because Antisocial Network made a lot of money in the movie theaters and it made a lot of money as a book. So although, you know, how far out as an author, if you want to do a story on this and who wouldn't, I mean, the whole thing is fascinating. At what point do you start writing? I mean, because it's like, if you start writing right now, First of all, the saga hasn't unfolded completely yet. And second, we don't know when it's going to stop. And we don't know or if it, and I, it's actually not going to stop. But the point is, is that it's going to come into some kind of normalcy. At what point do you cut the end of the book? I mean, at what point do you say, okay, this is the new normal now. Uh, book is over, so now we can go ahead and make the movie. I'm just saying, I, I hope that they take their time and be patient because this this entire thing is is worth looking at from a historical perspective, but we need to actually get to a place where we can look at it from a historical perspective. Although um, it would probably do us well to make sure that we keep notes as this thing progresses. So with that said, that's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Dad says jokes. Doctor says, sir, I have some bad news. I'm afraid your DNA is backwards. Me. And? Yeah. That's a joke grenade. You'll, you'll get it in a second. Um, yeah, it's going to be a weird week. We are, let's see what the short uh, situation on, on GameStop is doing. Still in pre-market, and it's risen from 318 at the at the beginning of the show to $322. So like almost a $4 gain in pre-market, it's going to be a fucking bloodbath, y'all. Be careful out there. And honestly, really, guys, be careful with that silver situation. I'm just saying, look, I like if, if you follow my advice and don't get into it and you end up not making billions and billions of dollars, my sincerest apologies. But shit, you could get wrecked just as horribly, right, it, going in the other direction. The, the silver market is something that I would, me personally, 
I'm staying completely out of that. I'm not, I don't want to have anything to do with silver. And a lot of it goes back to the whole reason why I got into Bitcoin in the first place. I mean, honestly, it plays out something like this. Like if I buy, if I buy silver, I have to wait for that silver to be physically delivered to me. And if it's a, a, a large amount of silver, well, that's heavy. Shipping costs are a bitch. And then if I want to buy something on the internet, I got to mail them silver. Okay. So first of all, will it get there or will it be stolen in the mail? I mean, I had, you know, my, my, uh, my sister sent, uh, you know, my son or my, my daughter for her birthday, inside her birthday card, you know, 20 bucks. They ripped open the birthday card and they took the 20 bucks. I mean, you know, I mean, it's just a bunch of thieves. So I got to send it through the mail or FedEx or, or something like that. And then I got to wait till the vendor gets it. And then they've got to figure out how far they want to go to verify that it really is silver. Generally speaking, I would imagine that they just look at it, feel it and go, okay, it's probably silver. But they could take other steps and get a full assay on it. I doubt it because it's probably so, I'm probably purchasing something cheap. But if it was, you know, tens of thousands of dollars, they may want to assay some of it. Now, that's another week of chem analysis. And then it comes back and then they say that I can finally have my shit. And then they got to mail, you know, mail me the stuff. Honestly, whose idea was this? To send physical metal through the mail to purchase stuff. It's a stupid idea. It's absolutely stupid. And it would always be stupid had it not been for the fact that somebody or a group of people found a way to make sure that you could never print more than 21 million of something that could be sent over digital communication networks. It can also be sent over analog communication networks if done correctly, but let's just deal with the, with the internet at this point. This is why I Bitcoin, and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.